Welcome to the Educational Renaissance Podcast, where we promote a rebirth of ancient wisdom for the modern era. We seek to inspire educators by fusing the best of modern research with the insights of the great philosophers of education. Join us in the great conversation and share with a friend or colleague to keep the Renaissance spreading. Hello, this is Colby Atchison with Educational Renaissance. And today I'll be talking about how we as educators can shape the desires of our students for the kingdom. In the Christian classical renewal movement, we often draw the distinction between an education focused on information and an education focused on formation. Education and information focuses on the dissemination of facts, critical thinking skills, and beefing up the intellect, while education for formation prioritizes the process of developing a certain type of person. Both information and formation are important, of course, so which is right? Well, that depends on what humans essentially are. If humans are at core cognitive creatures, then it makes sense to focus exclusively on the intellect. This was the predominant view of modernism. Influenced by the age of reason and the noticeable success of empirical science, modern schools adopted a, generally speaking, intellect-only attitude toward learning. They drew a hard distinction between facts and values and insisted that only empirically grounded facts could be studied. Everything else was dismissed as mere emotional conditioning. But in the classical tradition, the idea never gained traction that a human can be reduced to a brain on a stick. Instead, philosophers like Plato espoused a tripartite portrait of human beings. Humans possess intellectual, effective, and appetitive components. The formative purpose of education for Plato is to shape humans to be virtuous, or as C.S. Lewis put it in The Abolition of Man, education properly conceived prepares the human to use the head to rule the belly through the chest. On this podcast episode, I will explore the idea that a truly formative education shapes not only our moral strength, but our very effective desires. That's effective with an A. That is what our heart longs for. Drawing on the work of James K.A. Smith, I will show how habits shape desires and the object of our deepest desires reveals who we are becoming. Educators, therefore, must think carefully about the practices put on repeat in their schools and how these habituated practices are shaping the very affections of their students. Let me begin with this idea that as humans, we are creatures who worship. In Desiring the Kingdom, Calvin College philosophy professor James K.A. Smith argues that humans are liturgical creatures. In other words, the longing to worship is a central feature of what it means to be human. The question is not whether we will worship, but what or whom we will worship. Deep within our bones is a desire to love and experience the transcendent. Until this desire is fulfilled, we remain restless, hungry, and unfulfilled. As St. Augustine put it in Confessions, his spiritual autobiography, You have made us for yourself, O Lord and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. In our modern secular world, religion may be on the decline, but our longings to experience transcendent fulfillment are not. Pointing to ongoing zeal for the market, the malls, and the military, 
Smith offers three examples to demonstrate that when humans displace God as the object of our deepest desires, we replace him with lesser goods. And when traditional religious rituals are excised, they are replaced with secular rituals, repeated affection-shaping practices, all the same. The diligent repetition of these practices is precisely how we keep the zeal for the objects of our desires intact. Now, on the surface, it may seem that humans wake up each day and every day with the volition to choose what they will love and to what degree. But what Smith points out is that our loves are largely directed and aimed by habits already in play. These habits not only determine how we spend our time, but what we grow to love and ultimately what the good life or future kingdom is that we are pursuing, even if we don't realize it. Imagine, for example, the young man who begins each morning with phone in hand, checking last night's scores across the National Basketball Association, the NBA. He reads game summaries, notes individual player statistics, and checks the standings in each regional division. Finally, he scours the web for the latest updates on his favorite team, the Chicago Bulls. Well, after an hour and a half on the glowing rectangle, he rolls out of bed and prepares for the day. On the way to work, he listens to sports radio, recapping last night's events, and looks forward to lunch break when he can discuss the latest NBA drama with his coworkers. He works diligently throughout the day and rewards himself every hour with a short excursion on his sports news app to preview the game schedule for that evening. On the way home from work, he self-injects one more dose of sports radio and thinks about whether he will watch the upcoming game at home or at a restaurant with friends. Pulling into the garage, he checks his text messages and the decision is confirmed. He pulls his Chicago Bulls jersey on and heads off to the local pub and is greeted warmly by his fellow religionists. I mean, fans. Now, a cursory analysis of this everyday, partially comedic scenario would dismiss it as simply the story of a young man who enjoys professional basketball and supporting his local sports team. When we dig deeper, however, we see how his day is saturated with habits formed through practices that are training his desires and fueling his imagination. Checking his phone first thing in the morning, listening to sports radio on his drive into work, conversing with friends on the topic over a meal, and donning the ceremonial garb a sports jersey in the evening are habits which subtly enforce who he is and what he longs for. If he keeps this routine up, his devotion will only grow, and with it, his longing to re-experience day after day this vision of the good life. It slowly becomes part of who he is and brings a fulfillment that nothing else can. The path is set with bricks composed of habits paving the way. His desires are honed in on the target, and only the installation of new habits, humanly speaking, can change the direction of the kingdom he is seeking. Are you ready to take your classroom or school to the next level? Here at Educational Renaissance, we want to equip you with skills and practices that will help you achieve your goals as educators. Join us for our next live webinar and take a deep dive into the topics you've learned about through our blog posts, podcasts, books, and videos. Learn practical skills and get your questions answered 
to level up your classroom or school. Simply sign up for our next live webinar on our webinar page at educationalrenaissance.com. Learn more about upcoming webinars or find other downloadable content. If you believe teaching is a craft, then join us for our next webinar where you can be apprenticed to gain valuable skills and practices. Sign up at educationalrenaissance.com. Like the basketball devotee, our schools are honing in on a certain target or vision of the good life. And this target is regularly reinforced through practices. For economically prosperous countries in the West, it is very difficult to escape the attractive kingdom of wealth and materialism. This vision of the good life promises so much, comfort, popularity, acceptance, recognition, experiences, and the like. But if our schools are to remain distinctively Christian, we must look beyond this earthly kingdom in order to fix our eyes on something greater, the kingdom of God. What does this kingdom look like? Well, in his first letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul writes, quote, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing that things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31. Now, it seems to me that this passage from Paul captures the essence of the heavenly kingdom. It is a kingdom composed of citizens who do not pretend to be of high repute or worldly honor. They do not view themselves as deserving of either God's grace or cultural recognition. They see the promises of the world for what they truly are. Empty siren songs designed to stroke the ego Meanwhile, the rocks of destruction grow ever closer. The vision for the good life we desire as Christians and pray for our students to desire is marked by the hailing power of Jesus and nothing else. Our Lord Jesus, God from God, light from light, descended into this world to bring the kingdom of heaven, marked by baptism, self-denial, forgiveness of sin, and the hope of resurrection. Going back to our author, Jamie Smith, Smith proposes that we can determine the kingdoms our schools are oriented toward by taking inventory of its daily liturgies. By liturgies, he means the thick practices that shape our vision of a kingdom. For example, the liturgies of the basketball fan described above are his morning routine on his phone catching up on all the highlights, connecting with his friends at lunch on the topic, and scheduling his evenings around the upcoming game schedule. These liturgies, practices with desire shaping and imagination fueling power, shape his vision of what he longs for most. So what liturgies exist in our schools? What repeated practices seem to bear the greatest influence over the culture of the student body, over the parent community, over faculty and staff? Are these liturgies oriented toward kingdom values of lifting up the name of Christ, growing more holy, and learning as a way of bringing honor to God? 
Or are our school liturgies at present spreading the gospel of a different kingdom, perhaps marked by academic repute, cultural acceptance, and worldly achievement? To start to conclude this podcast episode, to help you as a Christian educator discern with the Spirit's aid what liturgies exist in your school and what liturgies don't yet exist, here are some probing questions to consider. I have six of them. One, what repeated practices seem to have the most influence in your school? What do students get most excited about? Why? Two, what can you have students do and do on repeat to help them learn about and grow in the desire for God's kingdom? Three, what thick practices of the church are appropriate to bring into your school while respecting the unique place the local church is to play in the life of believers? Four, how can the practices you implement in your school be distinctively countercultural, yet perhaps not anti-cultural? In what ways is your school practicing baptismal renunciation and cultural abstention? What are you saying no to? Five, how are you using instructional time to shape student affections for the kingdom? How can you incorporate embodied learning practices into your lessons? And six, how are you using non-instructional time to shape student affections? What practices exist in the hallways, during passing periods, in lunchtimes, and even at recess? All of these can play a role in shaping the desire for the kingdom your students long for. Well, these are challenging questions to be sure, and more than anything, they are designed to give us pause to reflect on our craft. To shape student affections for the kingdom, teaching a Christian worldview is not enough. Offering Bible classes is not enough. A weekly chapel is not enough. These are necessary components to be sure, but they are mostly cognitive strategies when the students in our classrooms are affective, desiring creatures. In order to reach affective creatures, we need effective strategies, approaches to education that reach the heart. These will be strategies that acknowledge our embodiment and see the connections between what we do, what we long for, and therefore who we are becoming. May we as educators continue to seek the kingdom of God first. And as we do so, invite our students to join us on the journey. This is Colby Atchison with Educational Renaissance. If you enjoyed this episode, please uh, rate this podcast below and leave a comment. Thank you.